<laughs> the Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good afternoon from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom and I are flying solo, solo tandem, whatever you call that. Yeah. And there's two of us. Tom, you're laughing on the intro. Do you want me to leave that in or take it out? Leave it in there. That's just <laughs> fine. I, I just was chuckling about something we were talking about before that. And then really I was sitting here thinking about how many of these we've done since short course in this room. And I feel like it's a limited number. Well, it's limited to two. It's kind of hard to get back used to home. So it's the middle of February. Tom and I still have some running around to do. Got a rice meeting that's going to take up all week next week. And then Tom's got to go to a plant pathology meeting the week after that. So we're. <clears throat> Which we tend to lump everything around the Southern Soybean Disease Workers, which doesn't mean much to anybody that will be listening to this other than the fact that this is the 50th anniversary and we have a wheat meeting and a soybean meeting and the southern soybean disease workers together so we get the bulk of our colleagues from up north to come to the beach at what should be a fairly warm time of the year speaking of warm it's supposed to be 85 next week that's right in february <laughs> that's what we were talking about at lunch you know I, I almost took a picture this morning and put it on twitter i swear that groundhog's confused you just drive around and look at all the saucer magnolia trees right now that are full bloom. I mean, <laughs> full bloom. 74, 75 is one thing, but 80, when I looked at it at lunch, it was up to like 83 for next Wednesday. I walked in shorts and a t shirt this morning, which in February is stellar for those of us that didn't grow up here. Except for the yeah, I'm gonna choking f- humidity. That's right. The humidity was a little rough. What Tom was laughing about before we started was that I told him I didn't have a good question for him, but then I came up with one just on the spur of a moment. So, Tom, why did your basketball team lose last night? Um, I'm assuming you're talking about the Indiana Hoosiers? Correct. I don't know that I've said this on the podcast, but I, no joke, honest to goodness, stopped watching Indiana Hoosier basketball about the time that my alma mater fired Bobby Knight. I, I no longer watched college basketball after that moment in time. College basketball ceased to exist in my world because <laughs> I was mortified by the fact that that university and institution would fire such a stellar coach. And I honestly, I did, I lived in Amarillo. He coached in Lubbock. And I still would not watch college basketball. And I used to be a fanatic. I watched every game of March Madness. So the answer to my question was you didn't know they lost. No, I had no idea. I don't pay attention to that. I use my ESPN app for hockey scores and don't pay any attention to the college basketball scores. Who did they play? Because they beat uh, Michigan the other night. I knew that. I don't even know. It was maybe like Northwestern or something. It was a middle of the road team. Because they're ranked like, I forget, in the teens maybe. (sighs) High teens. Who, Indiana? Indiana was like, I think, 16 or 17. Yeah, something like that. And I just had glanced at that the other day. I don't pay any attention to them. And I used to go to the games when I went to school there. I mean, as many that you could. Were you there when you threw the chair? No. But I will tell this story because this is a good one, okay? So Bobby Knight threw that chair maybe at the port, something in Puerto Rico. It was a basketball Uh, game in Puerto Rico, if I remember off the top of my head. It was in the 80s. Following that, Indiana chained all the chairs on the bench together. And the only reason I know that is I remember being at a Sunday game when they played Northwestern at home 
in Bloomington, and there weren't very many people there. And Knight got mad, and he threw his clipboard down, and he turned around, and he grabbed a chair on the bench, and the hu- a hush fell over the entirety <laughs> of Assembly Hall, and you could hear somebody up in the back yell, Go get him, Bobby! And he grabs a chair and starts pulling, and you could hear the chain, and the entire bench was moving as he was pulling on the chair because he wanted to throw another one, and he couldn't, which is a shame. So (laughs) he was a hothead. Slightly. Slightly. All right, enough about college basketball, especially Midwestern Big Ten college <laughs> yeah, basketball. Yeah, for the, <laughs> yeah, three quarters of the people that listen to us just, yeah, just going, cut us off. We need to come up with an interesting title for this one to keep people interested uh, yeah. beyond we our fell off the deep end. basketball right. discussion. Jason had indicated that it would be a good time to talk about moving from this winter to spring transition period, which probably is the best way to put it, about ryegrass. And that's really what he's been covering the most at the – limited number of county meetings that we have done to this point, which I think is like three at this point. There's only like three or four more. Well, there are regional meetings, mistaken. though. That's right. We did. Regional. We focused everything on kind of a regional perspective so that we had a little bit more time in the office and to take care of some things. But Jason, I think, made a really good point that we should talk about some ryegrass management at this point, especially if you missed some of those fall residual pre-application timings. And now that we're moving through some burn down at this point, what were his thoughts really on Italian ryegrass management? So this time last year, and it may have been a week or so later than where we are right now, but ballparking the first of March, I mean, my phone just blew up for several weeks. That was the conversation that I had on a day in and day out basis was (laughs) this ryegrass is bad. And it won't die. Thinking back, what was different about last year, and there were several things that were different, I think, for ryegrass. In contrast to two or three years before that, the fall of 21, I think we got a significant amount of field work done plus fall residual herbicides out targeting ryegrass. But then in December of 21, we and we've talked about that Oh, it was hot it was several was... times on here for different things, but it was really, yeah, it was unusually warm. And I think a lot of that of our treatments that we had put out in the fall of 21 dissipated or in areas where we may not have had that treatment out, the ryegrass just grew more rapidly. Like think about wheat and wheat, not vernalizing things like that, that we you know, were concerned about with wheat. Same concept with ryegrass. It just continued to grow. So when we got to our kind of traditional time to start our post-emergence burndown treatments, this stuff was just way bigger than what we were accustomed to dealing with. And I think that really put us over the cliff and controlling it come springtime last year. Fast forward to this year, I think we got at least an equivalent amount of burn down out in the fall in 22 compared with 21 for us right here. And this is these blanket statements that I make always get me in trouble, but in the Stoneville area, we went forever in the fall without rain. So from the middle of August, latter part of August, way up into November, we had basically no rain. Great for field work, but not necessarily great for fall residual herbicides for two reasons. 
One, we put some treatments out on some beds that weren't settled. I don't know that the fallout from that has manifested yet. I don't see that driving around yet. So what you would expect to see there, uh, or what would happen there, is that ryegrass seed would be above the herbicide layer, and therefore you'd just get spotty control. This would be the time of year now that that would begin to show up. Well, and biologically, you're talking about a, a weedy plant that would emerge much prior to the point we are now in February. Yeah. So you're not likely to see any additional emergence from that plant. What you would see now is post-emergence growth. Yeah. Let me finish up my thought on the weather last fall. The other part of that would be that it was so dry that stuff didn't come up till later than what we had been accustomed to seeing. The ryegrass here right now is way smaller than it was 12 months ago. And so you're right. What's there now is growth from a fall flush. And I think for whatever reason in Mississippi, we're beginning to see more populations that have a spring flush, whether we're selecting that or whatever the reason is, I have more conversations with people that are describing small ryegrass this time of year, and it can't be anything other than new emergence. So we know from years gone by that in a population that has a significant flush in the spring, that you're right, it usually cuts off sometime in the, in our records in December. And so for a couple months, depending on the year and the weather, there's basically no emergence. And then if that population is prone to have a spring flush, it picks back up sometime around now. So latter half of February into March, and it's going to continue till the temperatures get high enough that it's not favorable for that particular species to germinate anymore. And at this point, what should everybody be looking for scouting-wise at the field level? I think unless you're on a, quote, new farm, if you're a grower and you've rented a new place that you don't have good history on or you're a consultant that's checking some ground that you haven't checked in the past, this particular problem is severe enough that it sticks in your memory, right? So it's not catching you by surprise. It's presence is not catching you by surprise. It's growth stage when you go check it might catch you by surprise. And I haven't had that conversation really this year yet that, hey, I just went and looked at this farm and whoa, it's bad. I mean, we knew it was there and and we've either taken steps to address it in the fall or we made plans earlier in the wintertime to make a treatment target in that weed. So the questions to answer right now, Tom, are which treatment do we use? Because we've only got two that are going to work on it after it emerges, and that's clethodim and paraquat. So is clethodim still a possibility, or do we need to transition to paraquat? And then related to that, what's the crop going in that field? Because that would dictate what the treatment is too. Well, that's definitely what you'd said before we really started recording. Why don't you break that down for everybody? Because that's important. What a, what's the label restriction and cutoff? Cause we're likely reaching that. And B then where could you still put clethodim out? If we're talking about the ryegrass growth stage, 
utilizing a clethodim application, then it most of those labels, and I've looked at a lot of them, it says two to six inches. And unfortunately, we get to two to six inches most years way earlier than now, and I think that feeds into some of the challenges that we have with clethodim. All right, I think we've got more this year that are at least closer to that, given what I said about the delayed emergence last fall with the dry weather, at least in, in our area. The other part of what you're asking is the pre-plant intervals for our grass crops. So for corn, and then right now, as of today, less so for rice, but also applicable, it's a 30-day pre-plant interval. If the weather continues to improve and the soil dries out, you know, we're going to be planting corn well within 30 days from now. And there'll be, if it dried up, we would have some rice in the ground within 30 days from where you and I are sitting here having this conversation. So that acre that maybe is uncommitted, you got to be cautious with that. Cause if there's a possibility that it's going into corn, then if you use clethodim, it's going to push your projected planting date back, or you need to go just go ahead and swap to a paraquat-based treatment and, and rice the same way. Like I said, less urgent, I guess, for rice right now, given that we are in the middle of February and we'll be latter half of March more than likely before most of our rice ground, you know, the soil moisture is right for planting. But, I mean, it's not unusual at all for us to have some rice in by the middle of March. No, that's true. I mean, 30 days out would put you, what is today, the 16th of February, not to give us a date, but yeah. at this point, I mean, that's not a bad thing. So that put us 16th of March. Now, what about an option for that clethodim treatment in soybean or cotton? I think clethodim is in play still for both of those. And I would base it off the size of the ryegrass. If we've got this, those big gnarly clumps of ryegrass, like everybody can envision from driving down the, the highway and glancing out over a field, we're just not going to get them. They're not, it's not going to work on grass that size. And you're probably not going to get it with a single application, or, you're, or I can say you're not going to get it with a single application of anything. Now, hopefully the population is not extreme enough where you're running the risk of some big losses in yield due to competition, that population is thick enough, then you're even now committed to two treatments to get that weed control before you put a crop in the ground. And that can get expensive. But with clethodim, the way I've been describing it this winter, and I don't know what made me think about this, but I've said this at several meetings now, but there's a ceiling for clethodim on ryegrass. Every herbicide and weed combination, there's a ceiling, right? Just with anything any kind of drug and disease, you know, in humans or anything. There is a ceiling beyond which it cannot deliver better results than that. For me and clethodim, I think it's 90%. And then that particular herbicide, it's not Roundup, right? And it's not Paraquat. It's not 2,4-D on a broadleaf. It's not one of those once-in-a-lifetime herbicides that, very consistently delivers what you expect it to deliver with the exception of herbicide resistance and thinking mainly about Roundup there. So I think 90% is about as good as I can do 
on appropriately sized ryegrass with clethodium. And so then you got all these other things that have got to go right in order for you to hit that 90%. So maybe it's a little cold when you put that treatment out. Well, that's going to bring that level down from 90. And maybe the surfactant wasn't quite right. That's going to bring it down a little bit more. Or the application volume wasn't right. Brings it down a little bit more. And then you're down into that 60, 70 range wondering what the heck happened. Well, and I've heard you point out at a couple of these county meetings that in your world, when y'all are doing trials, and we do the same thing in my world, you're trying to make it the best possible situation. So you're using... the utmost water and you're putting that application on with the spray boom calibrated right and at the right height and everything else and that's important so you're trying to capture the greatest control yeah and so my treatment when that treatment comes out of our spray booms i want it to be as close to perfect as possible but then related to that is my population should be off the charts bad So in the case of ryegrass, I usually describe our ryegrass fields as hay fields. (laughs) That's not quite realistic either. And hopefully the optimum application combined with the overwhelmingly bad (laughs) weed infestation makes it, when I have that number, whatever that number ends up being, maybe that number is pretty realistic. Because if you take that to a commercial setting, maybe the application's not perfect, but then the population is also not as severe as what I'm dealing with. No, that's just what I was going to say. And I mean, you and I both commented we've driven pretty much the same route, and neither one of us has really said, boy, did you see that field in such and such a location that just haven't terrible. Yeah, I haven't driven by. I mean, I've had multiple conversations with, with guys about controlling ryegrass over the past few weeks, but I, the places that I have driven in the past two weeks, I haven't seen one where I thought, ooh, I'm going to stop and take a picture of that one because that's, that's bad. Uh, I haven't seen that yet. And it just hasn't been where I've been. You know, I just haven't crossed paths with it yet. Well, and I hate to say it, but how much of that could just be related to the weather and the perfect setup that we had in the fall and the good groundwork that everybody had? And there's probably a bunch yeah, of things I mean, that we need that. We need a break. I mean, you go back to 18 and 19 in the fall when it was so wet, we didn't get much stuff done. And then that carried forward to the springs of 19 and 20. And ryegrass was really, really bad those years. Then residual from that was 2021. And then 2022, I described earlier the weather from that December in 21, how it affected us last year. So we're kind of due for a decently smooth burndown season. Well, and at that point, you're talking about the situation whereby you're not going to build up additional seed in the weed seed bank and everything else. If you have great situation in the fall of 22, good burndown season in the spring, winter 23, then moving forward, that should be beneficial on the backside of 23 moving into 24 as well so it's not it's not a losing situation when you have something like this stacking up in a, in a good sense no that's right it, you know hey man by the time we drop this <laughs> it may be completely <laughs> different because that 85 next week is going to change some stuff significantly so by the time y'all are listening to this you may think tom and i are both idiots because what we're saying is not applicable well the nice thing is is we'll have the period in between going to rtwg and coming back so if something changes on that route yeah. coming back or back into stoneville one of us calls the other and says i don't think that episode can go did you see that field that we drove by yeah just no, no doubt any closing thoughts 
And I know that's a terribly open-ended question. Any closing thoughts on overall weed control? I mean, that opens it up a little bit more. Not right now, Tom. I mean, beyond what we've already talked about, like I said, I've it's been decently smooth up till now. And again, this is February the sixteenth. It's not well in February, you. February the twenty eighth after several days of warm weather, like it will be when this episode drops in March. I'd be cautious with clethodium, even on bean ground and cotton ground, just because the growth stage of the ryegrass is probably going to be beyond what it can deliver for you. So that puts you into a paraquat-based program. I prefer paraquat to go out by ground. If the soil condition is not such that you can do that, then either that aerial application of paraquat or an application of clethodim, maybe that's what you've got to do in order to just beat stuff down in a, in a situation where you weren't able to do anything in the fall or the, the burn down didn't make it out earlier in January or February. And I know we, we, you know, we've had several episodes about ryegrass, even going back through last spring, but man, this one, it just has really ramped up in the past few years. I mean, it is a solid number two weed in our state. And I would even argue in corn, it may be the worst weed that we have in a lot of areas. Well, and I'd say, even from where I sit, I spend a lot of time behind the, the windshield, and it's one that usually I'm shooting pictures to you or saying something, or you've seen the place or whatnot, but I, at the importance of that particular weed at this point in the year certainly drives some of those herbicide application decisions, and I think that's really important to continue to discuss because obviously we still have some places that have a problem. Right. We'll take a moment to thank our regular listeners. I think this is, you know, something we're obviously continuing and will continue through 2023. And, and we hope the content is still important and uh, at the right time. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension. Extension.